Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and that Indigenous sovereignty was never ceded. I pay my respects to elders and custodians past, present and emerging and to those of the lands that this podcast reaches. As I embark on this process of speaking and listening, I'm doing so in the home of one of the longest continuous cultures of oral storytelling on the planet. I guess I'm always looking for like an immersion of some sort mm. and even if it's a smaller work which I haven't really been making for a while I want it to be overwhelming mm. and there kind of be a texture even though it's a flat surface the kind of like visual layering and texture that you can't escape and it's a slowness as well and it's not like a moving image where you see like snippets and then you're trying to work out what you're seeing this is like a lots of different things and because there's a note there's a rhythm that's kind of quick mm. you can't slow down to get it I'm Ty Snaith, and this is A World of One's Own, a series of conversations with women and non-binary artists I respect and admire. In each of these conversations, we attempt to break down the how and why of what we make. Together, we look at physical processes and how they relate not only to outcomes, but also connect to the unconscious or non-visual parallels and needs in our lives. Today, I'm speaking with Esther Stewart. Esther has a practice that I'm sure quite a few of you have heard of, the broad nature of which sees her collaborating with architects, institutions, even fashion labels. However, at the core of her work is an incredibly dedicated focus on painting. At a relatively young age, Esther has achieved some goals that most artists wait a lifetime for. Having already been asked to make major works for Heidi and Acker, as well as showing regularly in commercial galleries, artist-run spaces and art fairs. In this conversation, we focus heavily on process and how things take shape in Esther's studio. I'm fascinated by artists like Esther, who have a very intense, structured way of making things, almost like an architect or designer. We start by talking about the first works I saw of hers back when she was still at VCA. Flat, painted wooden surfaces joined together with a series of hinges, somewhere between furniture and painting. Yeah, I guess that I was sort of interested at that time specifically in looking at things that have a double language and that kind of sitting between interior architecture or furniture and then visual arts and kind of in some ways camouflaging the visual art or like painting part of it within a functional or kind of like allusion to functional um, idea. Yeah, right. And so that's still kind of those references to interior and functionality or um, space, inside space, or uh, it's still in your paintings now, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 And that idea of um, domestic, the domestic space, or I, which I guess relates directly to functional, is that something you think about all the time? Yeah, I think that that's probably where I draw my major kind of like references from. I'm still predominantly interested in um, interior architecture and spaces that I inhabit probably more, more so than when I was first making work, which was sort of a more generalised thinking about interiors and now 
I'm thinking about and trying to include more personal kind of narrative within the work. Right. So by that you mean your actual space that you live in or more of an imagined space? Um, probably both. I think that I'm uh, like heavily influenced by the spaces that I inhabit because they sort of have the geometries that I can look to immediately but then also um, currently sort of thinking about developing a full project that's an imagined like architecture as well. Great. Do you think you'll ever build that? I'm not sure. Like I built my house three years ago in a studio yeah. and it was a really nice process but there's a lot of freedom when it's completely fictional and I kind of like that um, as well. Yeah, right. I, I mean, I love that idea as well of fictional. Um, it's almost projection of self, isn't yeah. it? So it's sort of like, um, I mean, even that idea of in psychology where that unconscious programming of how you see yourself or what you believe in in terms of yourself, but in terms of an interior, I guess it's just a further your body in a space. Actually, one thing I really want to talk to you about every time I was just thinking coming in here, do you have a very specific method when you're working? Um, yeah, I guess I probably do, um, well, specific to me, mm. um, I am like a, like a, quite a rigid planner and I won't start any, like any kind of like physical works until a whole, um, uh, I guess that comes from then I, that I also work in series. So I don't ever work on one piece alone. Mm. I work on a body of work and that then once they're all sort of planned, mm -hmm. then I'll start making them so right. it's not developmental in that sense that so when I'm designing them or the paintings or even if it's sculptures I like to be able to kind of like see them all in plan so that I get a sense of if they're like re how they read off each other. Wow okay so every single bit is 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 finalized before you start painting or yes really every yep. color yes oh yeah that's quite a strict um planning process then for a painter I mean I guess I don't really define think of myself like as a painter in don't the you? sense of a um yeah, I don't have that kind of relaxed um gestural sort of um practice where there's a yeah. um capacity to kind of shift within like how paint operates. That's not really what I'm but interested you're a painter. in. I paint, yes. <laughs> but I think of my the way that I think of what I'm making is more spatial, so probably mm. uh, even if they're flat two-dimensional objects they're kind of considered in the round so how they yeah. operate off each other and how they'll be hung is always thought of from the beginning mm. um but yeah of course they're paintings yeah, but yeah. probably considered in a spatial yeah. way I just find those things kind of fascinating what you know the loadedness of the word being a painter or the title yeah. you know being a painter and everyone expects this kind of genius that expresses themselves through the gestural, you know, brush strokes or whatever. But your practice is almost more like an architect or a designer when Definitely. it comes down to it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that I can be more, when I was, I have in the past made works from just straight onto the boards that I paint on. I paint mm. flat. But when I was doing that, I found that I was had less of a capacity to change as I was making the works mm. because I was tied up in the labour of what it would mean to change to another colour or change a seam line. And so yeah. now actually when I have it all planned, I can have done thousands of experiments within my planning process before I get to the final piece. Yeah. And I feel a lot more confident doing that and also that once there's a deadline coming up, I'll have already have, like at the moment I'm working towards a show and I already have all my plans done. Yeah. So even though it's stressful because there's a lot of labour to be done, it's I just have confidence in like 
but I'm happy with what I'm making and I'm not going to be making any last-minute decisions um, based on the, oh, it just looks better green. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so, going to stick with that. So that I guess then the for me the interesting point is the planning, you know, where they grow from originally. Like do you have a process there as well? So do you yes. have a certain time of thinking where you don't do any drawing or do you have... Do you, do you think through drawing or...? I think through drawing. I'm always collecting images or doing notes on because I predominantly at the moment I'm kind of collaging patterns that I've mm-hmm. developed and so I develop patterns all the time mm-hmm. and then I bring them into the work. So I sort of have like a suitcase I guess like as an analogy of different patterns that I'm ready to like incorporate into paintings. Yep. And then I also then like to bring in elements from previous paintings as uh-huh. a way of kind of acknowledging where things have come from and um, how they've grown. Kind of then to develop it further. Once I have a, I have like, I guess, a suitcase of patterns and yeah. like colours that I'm thinking about. And yeah. then that's your palette, the, right? As my palette. Yeah. I guess I'm looking then at the space where the work will go and okay. what it is like uh, the body of work that I want, what I want that work to be articulating and thinking about more specifically. And how many pieces you have to work with and how they form a story together. Yeah. So they're always forming a story as a group. Yes. That's pretty much how you always work. Yeah. It's interesting because I've found talking to artists, everyone has their own sort of set of rules that they work within. And it's funny how, I don't know, some people's process is more open either at the start or at the end, it seems, mm-hmm. you know. But there's always some kind of rigid framework at some point that you can either break outside of or, you know, um, rain back in. Mm-hmm. But those patterns that you make originally that are in the suitcase, let's even call them the suitcase <laughs> patterns, um, when do you, I mean, do they just come from inspiration? Do you do them when you travel? Do you do them at any time? Um, I have like a pretty structured studio practice, so mm-hmm. I try and be there uh, like just during working hours. And so yeah. I've sort of am doing those all, all the, time. the time. And then you put aside, then you have to stop yourself from doing those drawings when you're working on that because your work's quite laboured as well I mean those final paintings take quite a lot of work well that's so when I'm making my works I also have a lot of headspace to thinking of new ideas and that's why I quite like the structure as well because at the moment I'm making one show and that's I'm in the labour stage of that but I've also got another show coming up so after that so now I'm on my next stage and it's kind of a it's a great time because I'm so physically busy to be thinking of new things and it's also when I can like watch new films or listen to new podcasts or just have new information coming in while being, it's not very stressful, it's like super relaxing to make um, really um, detailed, tidy paintings. Yeah, it's funny because for me it's it's a similar thing. It's like I I need a process where I'm also making almost mindlessly, like you know what you have to make and then the craft of it comes through that and then your mind is free to think of the next stage. Yeah. And I often, I often find that exercise does the same thing for me, like if I'm either making something or exercising, my brain mm. reacts in the same way. But you almost have to allow it to um, give it the space to, to think or something Yeah. instead of listening to something all the time or reading something all the time. It's sort of a balance, isn't it? Yeah, I guess I, I jog every day and that's yeah. where I would get that kind of like jiggled out new thinking thing or something. It's like real clarity comes from that process. But uh, in the studio I really like how you can, like, listening to something new and it's more of a background noise but little bits sort of pop in and then you can think about it. I get a lot of my titles from 
processes like that or I love titles yeah like reading or so for for me with your work I often I mean it's obviously quite abstract in aesthetically but then it also feels quite personal and almost literal in some ways as you were referring to before like a space or a part of you how do you work I mean do how do you consciously make that balance like how much do you want to give away or how um I guess I kind of flip between what I want in that and I think of my work as like a like a lifetime of work rather than just like per show Mm -hmm. so sometimes I feel really confident that this more pure abstraction can articulate what I'm feeling Mm -hmm. but I do feel that quite regularly I like to check in or really reposition my practice with like a a work that has a a kind of like more overt symbol or suggestion or something in it yeah right and what I mean that's really interesting for me that what brings that point on like that check-in at which point in your practice, like what do you think spurs that on? I guess because it's not, I'm not only making it for myself. Mm. So I'm sort of interested in the way that I can like be drawn into broader conversations. And if it sits purely within a, like a hard edge abstract space, then not, that's not all of the conversations mm. that I want to be having and not all of the kinds of shows that I want to be included in. And, not, mm. um, and so if I was only making one kind of work, it's hard for potential curators or people that are interested in working with me to think of how what how broad my practice could be. Mm. Um, and that's really important to you is keeping that the openness of where it could sit. Yeah, because I think that there's the capacity to do more exciting and kind of like collaborate with people in different ways if there's this kind of like catalyst. And if that's not even like remotely visible within projects then it's hard for someone to come to you and it's see a it. bit more exclusive or it, it excludes a whole lot of audiences yeah and it also just isn't the way that I think I really mm. enjoy the um idea of a kind of broadness or a, um yeah mm, like fitting into different worlds definitely or coming in and out of them or yeah so and I guess one of them for you is fashion yeah and how do you feel about I mean I know originally obviously you did a range for Valentino, which most people would know about, but um, do you seek that out or do you think that that, do you wait for that to come to you? Is that something in the future that you'll seek? Um, It's not something I'm thinking about seeking at the moment and definitely fashion is not really like a primary interest for me. Uh, Sort of, uh, I think the speed of the way that the industry operates is probably not where I'm like most focused, Mm. but Definitely it's not something that I wouldn't consider again. I primarily see, like, the kinds of projects that I'd like to be doing in a kind of more architectural space, I guess. Hmm. So have you collaborated with an architect before? I work regularly with one architect on most of my planning Mm -hmm. in my practice. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, and he does all of my technical drawings and um, we do all of the – so during the – the planning stage I make models of the space that I put Mm -hmm. the work in and then I'll scale the work so that I can get a sense of what size I want the works to be and Mm -hmm. he does a lot of that kind of like background and that's something you just factor into your um you know you contract him to do that yeah yeah yeah, like you would a photographer or yeah um, yeah that's interesting because not all painters work with architects as part of their practice it's quite unusual yeah so it would sort of make sense that you went further into that field eventually. Yeah, probably. I think yeah. that we have, um, like, 
I'm building structures at the moment that my yeah. paintings will hang on and that's been an awesome process yeah. just because there's this new way we can model what it looks like and yeah. the kind of way that the forms can kind of interlock and um, snippet view like sight lines of yeah. paintings is really exciting to me, probably more exciting than if it's just a making making the designs of the paintings, producing them and then hanging them in a gallery yeah. space. Well, I think, um, I don't know which interview I read it in with you, but I like the idea of um, that you brought up of interrogating thresholds or looking at mm. the threshold between, you know, a, a painterly space or an art space and actual space space mm. or even like sets. I've always been, you know, in the back of my mind thought one day I'd love to just design a set of sets for theatre or mm. drama, but I can see your work probably going totally in yeah. that direction too. But that threshold idea, like... It's almost like the tension is in that right in the bit where they meet rather than going too far into one thing where people don't quite know whether it is a painting or a wall or a door or... Yeah, I guess that's true. I think that... um I guess it's like that positioning of where my work sits. I sort of like it to be sometimes like overtly in the painting field or sometimes more ambiguous and if it's painted directly on the walls... Mm. Uh, I think like a lot of the public projects that I've done have been they're working alongside architects but a lot of the time when public work is commissioned it's sort of towards the end when the architecture has already been realised and I think going forward like for me where it will be interesting is if it's at the earlier stage of that process. Yeah well it's happening more and more I mean my partner's an architect and every time now that they work with an artist they involve them right from the very beginning Mm. of the job and I think just treat them as someone on the team rather than someone that comes in at the end and plonks something in the foyer or whatever. Yeah I just don't think it's that interesting like it for me, it's not as exciting to respond to someone's already considered architecture. Mm. I think that there's, like, room for that to be fun, but there really is I can't learn as much from that mm. process as I could through working from the beginning and thinking about what, how both how my work could be influencing the space. But even beyond the space, like, I think one thing that's exciting about being right at the start of that process is influencing how people live as well. Mm. I think your work does that to an extent because it also has colour, which we haven't spoken about, but colour is a really powerful thing in people's Mm. lives and it either draws people to that work in the first place to want to buy it or live with it or even take a photo of it or whatever. But then to then influence how they, you know, use appliances or sleep or Mm. that, I always find that kind of exciting, you know, that there's that, that's what architects get. That's the next step that could influence the way that a family lives together or a relationship or... Yeah. I think... I I mean, I don't see, like, huge... I'm not excited by a lot of architectures, like, architects' use of colour, actually. It's not experimented with. And I think that, like, part of the fact that I plan my paintings so far in advance Mm. and I probably do, you know, a few hundred tests with all the different colours in it before I've finalised it. Yeah. Like I spend a lot of time thinking about how colours sit next to each other. Yeah. And that uh, it's like a practice. (laughs) Like you have to practice these things. Yeah. And so I sometimes think like just adding one colour on a balcony or... It's crazy. It's just, yeah, it's crazy and it's not that informed maybe. No, and sometimes, I mean, I think good architects do it from that they are informed by the way that either the client wants to be or live or Mm. their history or their life or whatever. But then sometimes people just do it for trends 
Well, yeah, he's that crazy thing. Really like trend based and trend forecasting. Totally. All the colors exist and have existed. You know, like it's so bizarre how they can then say greens in or oranges in. It just doesn't make any sense to me because depending on the person that lives there, you know, the, yeah. the color is in is for you. You know, it's quite it's quite a personal thing. Mm. And your paintings, I feel like, a quite personal reflection of of you. But do you ever think from someone else's point of view to create those? colours like do you ever put yourself outside of you know you were saying before some are fictional spaces but mm-hmm. what about fictional palettes that you don't like um well yeah I don't know actually I can't <laughs> I mean I think like that my colour use is kind of shifts all the time mm. actually it's always um, pretty tasteful though yeah like I at the moment I'm really struggling not to think of like every time a new colour is introduced that it shouldn't be brown. (laughs) (laughs) And I was saying this to someone the other day and sort of like have spent the last few months editing out, trying to make it like less muddy. Really? Yeah, because there's something, and this happens with each body of work that I'll be like, oh, maroon would go here or yellow will go here and right now it's just really muddy browns. But that's just where you're at at the moment. I think I just always put in the colour that I'm most interested in and then have to edit it out a bit. (laughs) Stays in for a while. Yeah, and then it's like, okay, your new colour would be better in this face. But do you ever sort of challenge yourself to make a really, really ugly painting? Um. I mean, yeah, I th- I'm sure that the f- I think it's subjective. I don't think I've right? ever seen one of your paintings that looks ugly. Um, yeah, <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, um, well, when I made I made a work in 2016 at for Heidi, yeah. um, and the work was uh, it's titled "How to Decorate a Dump," and that's oh, yeah. from like a DIY like. I guess it's like an 80s magazine mm. from New York. Um, and through that process I was sort of thinking about what are like kind of maybe more 90s colour palettes that yeah. like I grew up with. My mum did heaps of um, that stenciling onto walls oh, with yeah. like possums and gum nuts and <laughs> yep. really like think of any colour and then put some white in it and probably a bit of brown and that's yeah. sort of the palette. 90s. And, yeah, it's really kind of muddy. Yeah. And I think... Yeah, I quite like that palette. As yeah, well. I love that yeah. palette. I'm really drawn to it at the moment. Yeah. But that's sort of what I was thinking about in that work. And I think there's really like ugly combinations in it, especially when you add something like purple or orange. It's, I always struggle with this because I try and challenge myself to make to not make it look nice, mm-hmm. you know, because instinctively you want something that sits comfortably within your palette or your taste. Mm-hmm. But then sometimes you want it to push an idea further from from the nice realm. You want it to be uncomfortable. But then ironically it ends up looking cool because it doesn't look nice. Yeah. So you have that problem of, you know, can I you know, can you actually make a really ugly painting if you if you tried? Um I don't know. It's maybe I think impossible. I, I- um, Lots of brown, just all brown. All brown. I don't. I mean, they're the they're the ones that don't come that don't get finished in some ways, and it's not necessarily just colours. Mm. Like a lot, of, I take thousands of screenshots of all of the wow. like each time that colours change, mm. and a lot of the time I struggle with it because I am. I guess I'm kind of looking for a symmetry, and that's where I can find that I'm juggling whether it's a nice work or not if it's yeah, a, symmetry, asy- yeah. asymmetrical. I'm, sim- I'm similar like that too and you have to push yourself from like that centre point mm. or off balance, yeah. literally yeah, off balance definitely. to feel unev- uneasy. I, fl- I flip them a lot just to see oh, what's going on. Um, 
yeah, so sort of have lots of little tricks to like shift things around and that's why I find the process of planning them in my computer just so wildly Helpful. liberating. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it's sort of immediate and you and don't it have just to doesn't, it's not. It's no problem to change it. Yeah, like, and no one sees it either. Yeah. Um, the one other thing on that, just on t- in terms of spaces and I guess the different language that delineates a space or what it's for or whose space it is, do you think that there can be gendered spaces and can you, you know, talk a bit about that, the idea of that? You, do you mean like more broadly gendered spaces? Yeah. yeah, of course I think there's gendered spaces. I think mm. that like traditionally domestic spaces have been created to keep women in them. Mm. And I oh, because they feel comfortable in there. No. Like no, but you <laughs> you so degree like well, how I mean, the, like how do you keep them like, in there? Yeah, you keep like for housework do you mean? Or yeah, like, yeah, or just yeah, domestic you know, how did service. men design spaces that women wanted to be in? It's I don't kind think of... it's about wanting to be in them. Oh, I think it's like a socialised role, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, so... But now not so much, right? So what? I totally disagree. Though. Really? I still think that, You think like, they're designed for women, kitchens? Yeah, I think that the questions of, like, how kitchens function and... Mm. Um, how can we... Like, how does that change through also through our practices? You know, how how do you slowly change that language of what what a gendered space is or whether there even needs to be, you know, whether you can just eliminate that as in terms of through style and fashion because mm. essentially that's sort of the world that you're contributing to fr- through your practice being popular and people looking to that to hang it in their homes. They're they're actually ingesting a type of, you know, an, a, an ethic of around the way a space looks or feels, you know. Yeah, I agree with that in some mm. Um, capacity, but I don't think that like my role is to articulate or like suggest how people operate. I think that a lot of domestic spaces are also geared towards like hetero relationships with children. Totally, like, yeah. So I think that there's problems needs. in well, maybe needs, but also that there's a. I think it's not only just gendered the yeah. architecture that we inhabit. Uh, I think that like could be a huge kind of like change on that really. yeah well I always thought I was just always blown away when I first saw the spaces that um Robin Boyd designed in the 50s where he had you know like there was one house I went to I can't remember the name of the house but basically had in the what would be the kitchen which sort of didn't even really look like a kitchen mm. there was you know a bed that folded down from the wall into yeah. the kitchen space yeah. and sort of like a, another part that opened out that otherwise looked like it would be a cupboard but actually was like a massive sort of storage space for much larger things. And it made me just think, oh, this is such a great use of space because sometimes one person's kitchen is is totally different to another person's kitchen mm. and that sometimes, um, I mean, even if you, anyone that's tried to choose tiles or whatever, it's so limited to a certain set of people's ideals of what that space should be. But I guess what I was trying to say before is, you know, the people that buy your paintings and hang them in their house, like, you know, you're becoming part of the, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Because you're becoming part of the decor as well as commenting on it. Yeah, I find that like (laughs) sometimes, yeah, it's an uncomfortable but interesting kind of problem with visual art in some ways. Yeah. And sometimes think about it taking away from my practice or sometimes adding to it. Yeah, I think that it's a, yeah, I think there's sort of like lots of elements that can, it sort of changes. Do you know the people that, do you like, do you know the type of people that buy your paintings? Um, I know some people that yeah. buy my paintings, yeah. Yeah. And then, no, not everyone. No. 
So I always find that kind of fascinating too, that these things that are so close to you that you've sort of laboured over and are so much part of mm. you then become part of someone else's life. Yeah, I think there's something really um, like it's nice that people want to live with them and um, but I kind of sign off on them once they're out of the studio. Yeah, right. Because as, yeah, I think... You let them go. Yeah, I don't really think about them very much after that Mm. Um, because it's sort of moving them out of a context that I've been thinking about designing them or planning them for. Mm. Um, And while it's... um, and I also Which is the gallery. Which is the gallery or the, um, yeah, I guess Mm. the space that they're originally shown in. Mm. And I think um, while uh, I find that there's a kind of complexity in the relationship then with a collector because I Mm. don't necessarily want my work in any way to feel indebted to that person because they Mm. think they're being generous to my practice in some ways yeah and so I I like the idea that um they enjoy something that I also enjoy and that's brilliant but on the other side of that I don't I'm not interested in it um, impact in my work going no, forward. No, I don't think it should impact your work, but I think it's interesting that it will impact their world. Totally. And, like, and that's your works really as well. Yeah, but your works as well are of a certain scale now and, mm. um, and maybe it's also just the language of them, which is really, you know, it is about taste to me and that then becomes part of their... So you're becoming part of all of these people's um, personal <laughs> palettes, you know. Yeah, sure. Which is just... I find really interesting and it's actually quite a position of power, you know, mm. if you really wanted to <laughs> alter that, you know, alter. But then I guess you run the risk of maybe people not wanting to buy the paintings and that's that's something that um, I guess is difficult. But, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm a troublemaker so I'll yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, I think that I quite like the, yeah, there is a kind of... Um, capacity to articulate something kind of subtly as well that mm. can be subversive mm. and I sort of think uh, that's probably where I would like to kind of teeter more yeah. towards and that yeah I enjoy that yeah idea of what it's that could be like infiltrating yeah, like the you know, infiltrating the homes of the bourgeoisie yeah sure yeah and and I think that's really awesome that you've got yourself to a place of I mean any popular artist that you can you have these faithful followers that then you have the opportunity to do that yeah. I think also it made me think of that um when I saw your work uh it was on a fabric work that was on the bed at oh yeah spring yeah when was it Sarah Cotia uh, probably station gallery station yep. sorry showed it on the on the bed yeah. and it really started making me think you know like as a bedspread I mean or at even just in that situation, mm. what that means, like what that object then becomes, you know. Yeah. And, and I guess treading the line between design and architecture and and I know a lot of architects sort of think about this all the time, but essentially they're not artists, you know. They're, they're working for a client always, but you're not. not yeah. I've, yeah, I've been making um, bedspread works again last year. Mm. Uh, I think they're, like I'm interested in them, kind of for two reasons one I think that the kind of the language of bedspreads and duvets and the kind <laughs> of like um keeping house and having everything immaculately tidy yeah. has really shifted yeah there's a real um aesthetic of a kind of like messy laid back bed thing that's happening now that's <laughs> yeah. not the kind of like tight uptight yeah. bedspread um but also just <laughs> it has changed yeah it? <laughs> definitely um and like what that means mm. in terms of culturally like what 
are we changing our mm. kind of capacity to be more relaxed about what happens in bedrooms? I, I kind of don't like, think so, but no, it's re- a, just a uh, visual it thing. Is. Maybe it is an analogy for what we do in the beds as well. Like I do think that maybe there is a parallel there. I remember my grandma's beds, like when we used to stay at her house, and mm. they were she had the sheet underneath the doona totally. that was like tucked in. Yeah, all, I love and those. <laughs> we used to, my sister and I used to roll off the side and it was tucked in so tight that you could lie in the like in yeah. the bulge <laughs> on the side. Yeah. And we'd always just sleep in there thinking it was fun. But now it's you don't even have an undersheet. Although I read somewhere the other day that that's a very Australian thing not to have an undersheet. So, do, I don't want. Well, you know, the people used to put sheets under under their doona. Well, I don't ever do it. Oh, top sheet. Sorry. Top a uh, top yep. sheet. Sorry, not undersheet. You should but, put a sheet on your mattress. <laughs> not on mattress. Yes, but uh, under the doona, I guess. Yeah. I mean. But then in other countries, that's still really standard practice. But here, mm, I use a top sheet. Do you? <laughs> See, I don't. I guess it's less washing. You just got to anyway. Yeah. We, I think like I'm interested in as well that it's something, and I guess this is going back to being a. Uh, kind of interest in sculpture or spatial mm. things is that you physically know what your body is in a bed. Mm. Now, everyone experiences it. So there's a capacity when it goes, flips onto the wall mm. to visually have a different experience to that work. Mm. It's it's like it's Personal. scaled, you know, when yeah, you yeah. like see on eBay and there's like a wine bottle <laughs> next to something. Like a double bed is pretty like everyone knows their body in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I love that idea and sometimes in my paintings, uh, I feel like paintings have this kind of immediate Im- imagined scale. Yeah, it's really interesting. Whereas when I make my sculptural works and especially my flat sculptural works that sit on the ground, mm. they have just a better language at like positioning the audience's body into the work. Mm. So I'm trying to think about that in my paintings at the moment, like hanging them really low and making mm. sure that it feels like it's a wall or on a wall. Yeah, so just that you know we you're implicated really in that. Yeah. I guess well. I'm always looking for like an immersion of some sort. Mm. And even if it's a smaller work, which I haven't really been making for a while, mm. I guess, I want it to be overwhelming mm. and there kind of be a texture even though it's a flat surface, the kind of like visual layering and texture that you can't um, escape and it's a slowness as well mm. But it, and it's not like a moving image where you see like snippets and then you're trying to work out what you're seeing. This is like a lots of different things and because there's a note, there's a rhythm that's kind of quick, mm. you can't slow down to get it and yeah. when you're in front of it there's you can experience colours differently and the kind of like... So so you have to it has to be sort of busy enough to keep you I guess you know, moving around yeah, with your eyes and your eyes, yeah. yeah I think I am looking for a kind of rhythm mm. that there's like slower spaces and kind of quicker spaces and mm. um yeah it's really interesting and then spaces that you might not even be able to like I just love that idea of fictional spaces that mm. you know you could then you know I love fictional portraits for example yeah with characters <laughs> that you can't don't exist, but then just from seeing them, they exist, mm. you know? Like, so just from seeing your paintings, those those spaces immediately exist or... Yeah, you... I think that's also, though, ties into, like, the idea of looking at my paintings and thinking that you might have any sense of who I am. Mm. Like, the, it can be fictional as well. Of course. And um, definitely there's parts of what or who I am represented mm. in that, but it doesn't mean that that's not also kind of manipulated as well. Of course. I mean, I think... All- all artists have a series of different filters that they put things through and, you know, some yeah. put some less and some more. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny, I was looking at something on realestate.com or whatever the other day and immediately, like, 
made me think of one of your paintings. But then mm. when I tried to work out why, it just didn't really make sense. It was almost like the feeling of that space or the photographer's position in the room made me think of, you know, so it's almost like a feeling of being mm. in a new space or a kind of, I don't know, 70s space or what's yeah. your, your favourite era of interiors? Um, I probably, I mean, mm, probably 70s. I kind of mm. like the openness and the... Yeah, the way that materials are used and also it's kind of adventurous. Mm. Like there's some, mm. like the paisley. Risks. There's yeah. ri- it's risky. It's yeah. not um, all kind of like natural white tones and yeah, like yeah. natural timber. It's pretty um, it's out like there. It's like kind of grubby and <laughs> I think the inclusion of like synthetics and plastic is interesting yes. to me. And faux things. Totally. Yeah. I love that. And yeah. I think it's great. It has such a cool like then linkage to like fresco paintings that then mm, yeah. reference marble in a like really meta. different way. Yeah. yeah. Ah, that would that you know first seeing those Italian the rooms where mm. all the different marbles and agates and stuff totally. hand painted. Yeah. Just sort of that meta thing sort of blows my mind. But now I guess we're in that period of like then photographing that and then printing that, which is yeah. there's so many layers of meta furnishing. Isn't it? Totally. <laughs> it can I get think really it's so weird. exciting. It's like <laughs> yeah. Yeah, anything can be collaged in. Yeah, that's right. And um, and in the future, I guess that will just be sort of like a hologram that you can interchange or... Yeah, well, like at the moment I'm collaging in, I made a work where I re... I purchased a kitchen on eBay. Did you? And then I moved it to TCB and I chose the kitchen because oh, yeah. um, it was like... Uh, well, I saw it as perfect for the TCB's kitchen, uh, the floor, like they had, yeah. a beautiful, had a beautiful floor. Yeah, and so I sort of like, kind of like yeah. purchased the kitchen based on what the <laughs> yeah. TCB floor is and also based on just how adventurous the colours were. Like yeah. it has a pink laminate top. Yeah. Oh, sorry, pink laminate doors and a brown top and these really beautiful kind of like brushed chrome handles. Nice. And when I saw it, I kind of... Like immediately wanted to know who the person was that originally <laughs> got that, yeah, and met them through purchasing it. Oh, that's even and better. Then, yeah. uh, and also then there's a narrative in that because the kitchen was gifted by the husband <laughs> to the wife for Christmas in 1977. So there's oh. all this like back narrative that I can't as clearly articulate in my paintings as that just yeah. that one object just does immediately. That's but amazing. now I'm cal- like. Now from the photographs of that work at TCB, yeah. I've turned them into line drawings and using those new perspectives as paintings. Yeah, so it's part, that's a different process though to what you usually, I mean it's a very three-dimensional physical. No, but this is how I would already get my perspectives yeah. in my original paintings is through a real photographs. Space. Real photographs. Spaces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Sometimes a house can be such a personal thing and a big thing. Maybe your paintings are sort of like little snippets of that like little snippets of a very intense personal experience mm. that you can give to other people but without sort think, of without the person in it you know yeah probably <laughs> I think because I pro- I'm like quite have a like a spatial memory of spaces yeah. that I've been in and I can oh, like lots of my family homes or things that yeah I have a pretty clear map of how all of those uh, architectures are right and have I thought I'm not redrawn I'm, them all um, no, but I could. That's yeah. like something that would be pretty. Like it's, that's something that wouldn't be difficult to remember. No. But I don't don't have any sentimental kind of objects that I mm. keep. Interesting. Or anything like that actually. I'm not. Really? I don't have, I'm not an object person. Oh, I'm such an object person. But it's trying to make me think of all the kitchens 
in my life. I mean, mm. I have to go home and do that. It's a really nice yeah. process of yeah. thinking. Yeah, it's a really nice process. One one other thing I wanted to talk about before we finish is just the change from living in the city to living in the country mm-hmm. and having a studio in the country. Yep. So can you talk about that? Has it influenced your work? Yeah. I'm I'm currently back in Melbourne because I've just got a two-year – I'm oh. part of the Gertrude Contemporary yes, right. Studios. Congratulations. Um, thank That's you. Fun. Yeah, I mean, this is – I'm in my second year now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will go back to making work in the country. Yeah. And I was there for three years before going to Gertrude. Mm. And it's really amazing. It's been like, uh, it's been exciting to be back in Melbourne and I've had so many um, like super productive conversations with people, mm-hmm. especially about my work and just the kind of confidence that comes from feeling more surrounded by peers that Gertrude has been able to offer me. Yeah, that's a big thing, isn't it? But in terms of focus and my capacity to really... Um, think more deeply about my practice, mm. I definitely get that better in the country. Really? Yeah. And do you think that's specifically just space or not feeling obliged to go out to things or fresh air? Um, <laughs> probably all of the things. Yeah. I think like it's, it's probably about space, but it's also probably that when I'm in Melbourne, I'm, I have a capacity to be like, want to go to a lot of things. Yeah. Um, and I like that about myself, but it's also not as good for my practice. Um, practice. Yeah, no, I'm the same. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, yeah. Having a kid does the same thing too. It means you don't have to go to as many things, yeah. but I can imagine living in the country would be a nice. Yeah. yeah. I've never lived fully in Delsud, so I okay. still keep a place in Melbourne and oh, I just go to Delsud from Monday to Friday. Ah, so that's really, so that's really it, it your office. It works well. <laughs> And it's a kind of quiet and then I come back to Melbourne and I want to chat so badly yeah. that it's nuts. <laughs> Save yourself up. Totally, the yes. Oh, well, it's been really enjoyable um, talking to you. Thank you so much for spending the time to just, you know, I know that time's such a precious oh, thing. Thanks. Hopefully, yeah, I'm really looking forward to one day, like, seeing you actually design a whole building from oh, scratch. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll say that much. first. I'm, I'm going to put yeah. money on that thanks. happening. Um, yeah, thanks for coming in. No worries. Thank you. This chat made me think a lot about the importance of broadness in Esther's practice. Her desire and ability to access different audiences and fit into different worlds, not just the commercial art world. And what a process. As she says, conducting thousands of experiments in planning with colourways and scale, working from the beginning with an architect, making models of her whole exhibition as a way of imagining the space and giving her confidence when it comes to making the final works. She's a new breed of visual artist who's taking control in a very real sense. I love her dedication to developing notes and visual ideas for her paintings all the time and keeping them in her suitcase of patterns. And our bedspread chat. Is there a language of how we keep our beds? And what does it mean? Does our interior language reflect us and how we want to live? And my main takeaway from talking to Esther is how important it is for artists to consider each body of work as just one part of a lifetime of work. This conversation was hosted by me, Ty Snaith. I'm an artist for those of you who don't know my work. I'm actually making a series of artworks inspired by each of these conversations. The first iteration was shown recently at Sarah Scout Presents. The exhibition's over now, but you can see the documentation on my website. For more information about the project and the artists I'm speaking to, head to tysnaith.com. 
Thanks to my audio producer, Beck Fari, and Melbourne musician, Fia, spelt P-H-I-A, for letting us use this track, End of the Day, from her album, The Ocean of Everything. This podcast was originally conceived as part of the exhibition, Unfinished Business, Perspectives on Art and Feminism, at the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art. This second season and the exhibition is supported by the Australia Council for the Arts.